Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is Monday, the 9th of August, which I recognize in many, many places is not back to school day, but it is back to school day where I live. And so uh, it is, it has been a day. It's already been a day. I know it's super early in the morning and it's already been a day. Uh, And it's going to be a day and it's been a weekend. And, you know, I don't know about you. There's so many competing interests at this point in time. And the family calendar can have a tendency to go out the window because now there is the school calendar and everything on the school calendar and press, 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 lots of things pressing in. My heart goes out teachers and administrators this morning and school bus drivers. Like if you haven't prayed up your school bus drivers, now's a good time to do that. Um, And let's be recognizing that we need to add a little more time in advance to getting to the places that we need to go, particularly if you're thinking that you're going in the morning or in the afternoon, because guess what? There's going to be a whole lot of people on the road who haven't ever been on the road. I'm thinking about all those new drivers. Everybody who got a newly minted driver's license in the last two years is now on the road this morning, headed to school for the first time. So slow down. Take a deep breath. Be patient. I'm going to lift up Colossians 3. Uh, I'm going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to jump down and read verses 12 to 17. This is my deep breath. It's not just a good back-to-school portion of Scripture. It's just a good how should I, how now shall I live as a Christian Scripture. But it comes to me uh, at the beginning of a school year as a really good, healthy, hearty reminder of who I am and who I'm called to be in the midst of everything going on, uh, particularly with the competing expectations. I mean, I don't know. How many lunches have you already packed today? Because I've already packed two. Okay, there you go. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, which praise be to Jesus I have. Like, right, let's start. All right. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, if you needed a consolation verse of the day, there it is. If you if you thought, you know what, things are just willy-nilly spinning out of control, God's not on the throne not paying attention, Um, oh, contraire, God's on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand. It's going to be okay. No matter what it is, it's going to be okay. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to tend to the things that we're responsible to tend to right here, right now. It means our mindset, where our mind is set, our perspective on things is going to be Christ, Christly, Christ-like on Christ. Verse 3, for you have died. Hey, that might be a news alert to some people this morning. 
Jim and I were talking about this on the way to church yesterday. Uh, it, there's just an awful lot of Christians who don't know they're already dead. They actually think that life is all about them. And Jesus is frankly all about them. And Jesus going to the cross is all about them. It, it, it's, it's actually all about God and who God is and God's plan and God's grace and God's character and God's working out God's will in the context of, yes, history of which we are a part by God's grace. It's not actually all about us. It's actually all about God. We, in fact, are already dead. I am already dead. You, if you are in Christ, you're already dead. And yes, you have been raised in newness of life by God's grace through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you, in fact, are already dead. That might be news to you this morning. It's it's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, if, if you, you know, think I'm making stuff up. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, praise be to God. Praise be to God. That is huge. And then we get on, we get on to the end of these verses. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. I'm going to do so quickly. You've heard them before. If you need something to meditate on today, here it is. Put on, then, as Christ's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen, amen, and amen. Our friend Dave Buring is waiting in the wings from Lion Share. We're going to continue our conversation about spiritual warfare in the workplace. We'll be right back. Uh, to those of you texting in this morning, the text line's always open during the show, 877-933-2484. Hearing from a friend in Duluth this morning who says, hey, can you ask everybody to pray for our friends at AM850? So AM850, I then Googled, in Duluth was severely damaged by a fire. It broke out on Sunday morning. Um, and so some of you may remember it as WWJC, it apparently goes by another call signal these days, but that's apparently the call signal um, for this Christian radio station in Duluth for many, many, many years. So let's be praying for our friends um, in in Duluth and uh, that God would provide all the resources necessary to restore that ministry outlet. All right, Dave Buring joins us now. You know him from Lion Share. We're going to continue our conversation about spiritual warfare in the workplace. Dave, good morning and welcome back. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, I am. Uh, I am fantastic. God is on the throne, and oh, that makes all the difference. It makes a big difference. 
All right. So you and I started a conversation the last time that you were with us uh, about yeah. spiritual warfare in the workplace. And um, and we thought, you know what, let's let's continue in that conversation. And you have offered up uh, what we're going to call the five D's of spiritual warfare. And so this doesn't just apply to warfare, spiritual warfare in the workplace. This this applies to spiritual warfare more broadly. So walk us through the five D's of spiritual warfare. And maybe we better start with the fact that we have an enemy. Yeah, no, that's right. You know, the Bible tells us that we have an enemy. Jesus called him a number of things. One was he called him a liar. He called him a murderer, a thief that steal, kills, and destroys, a tempter. And there's a lot of different names that the Bible use, uses for the devil or for Satan. And he's He's real. He's not just a fairy tale. He's real, and he is about to steal, kill, and destroy. And so background on this for me, Carmen, quick story is, so I used to coach high school football, and uh, we'd find ways to help the the team play fast. And what we meant by that is, you know, when you're trying to tackle, you don't want them to be thinking the methodology of what we call the hit, wrap, and drive. Instead, you, you rehearsed it over and over and over, so it got into their their mental memory in a way that that they just, you know, came up to somebody, exploded and tackled and did it well. Well, after seeing some friends kind of being dragged under the bus for a long time, and I could recognize, wow, the enemy's just doing something here in their life and they're not seeing it. I just begin to think about what is a simple way to help people recognize five of the core things that the devil does in their life. And so that's kind of the background behind this. All right. So Dave and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the five D's of spiritual warfare. Distort, distract, discourage, deceive, divide. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Dave Buring. From Lion Share, you can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. All right, Dave, let's jump in. The first of the five Ds of spiritual warfare, distort. Yeah, the very first time that we encounter uh, what we call our enemy in Scripture is in Genesis 3, where he shows up there in the Garden of Eden and says, Did God really say? And one of the things that the enemy often does is he tries to distort and disfigure the character of God in our hearts and minds. In other words, God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's not interested in you. It's those kinds of things where he will do everything he can to distort what God looks like. And our counterpunch to that, Carmen, is we've got to be able to be in the scriptures and know what the character of God is really like. So like, for example, if you look at my Bible, I've highlighted every name, title, and attribute of God's character with a light purple pencil. So when I open my Bible, who he really is screams at me. So that's my counterpunch to distort. Oh, I like that. I like the idea of um, of a counterpunch, like, right, being prepared in advance um, to speak directly the words of Scripture to the enemy, uh, maybe we could talk about that um, on a diff- at a different time. But we got to move through our our five um, our five schemes of the enemy, how to recognize and respond to them. So, having at least touched on distort, let's talk about distract. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that the enemy will try to do is get our eyes 
off of Jesus. He'll try to get our eyes off of maybe what it is that Jesus has asked us to do in our lives or do for our neighbor or whatever it is that that he has asked us to do. So that's a common one. I, I often think of the movie Up when, you know, there's the squirrels. Remember the dog in there that kept had squirrels and keep looking at the shiny object and the next thing moving? And we can get like that with life circumstances. And we've got to learn to counterpunch distraction by constantly walking in obedience to Jesus. When distraction comes up, we got to go back to, okay, what's the last thing the Lord's asked me to do? Or like at the last quiet time you had in the scriptures, maybe in your devotions and the Lord spoke to you through scripture, how, what did he ask you to do? So it's getting back to a life of walking in obedience to him that keeps us from distraction. All right. And if somebody wants to um, download the entire booklet, they just go to lionshare.org. Let me just encourage you guys, you can go and check, check out spiritual warfare in the workplace there. Uh, uh, let's talk about, um, I like I like the responses to this one on distract, trust, obey, like, right? That's a really good reminder mm-hmm. to trust and obey mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. really good responses to mm-hmm. the enemy's attempt to distract me. Number three, maybe we spend a little time here um, because I think that a lot of people are discouraged. Mm. Yeah, this is one that, you know, if you're discouraged, just realize you're you're not the only one in the world that has ever had to walk this through. I think of Elijah in in the book of Kings where he he defeats, you know, the, the prophets of Baal. And then the next scene, you know, we kind of come up on him in First Kings 19 and, and he's discouraged. He's in a cave. He mm-hmm. wants to just, God, just take me out, bring me to heaven now. And sometimes we think, Discouragement only comes when difficult difficulty happens, but we see with some people in Scripture that discouragement actually follows a big win, and we're not prepared for it. And so discouragement comes in forms like of accusations, the enemy accusing your failure, hopelessness, you know, you, you screwed up. You know, and he it's like I like to think of the word discourage as the enemy trying to remove courage from you to love and obey Jesus. And you just get feel taken out at times. That's discouragement. So what's our counterpunch to that? Well, we always need to see the big picture afresh and always remember that, you know, God is always greater. He's always with us. He's going to lead us and guide us. And for me, Carmen, a practical way of doing that, sometimes I pop my headsets on and I just go upstairs into a little loft area we have. And for the next half hour to an hour, I, I worship. I just put on worship tunes and I worship along with it. And I, I worship my way out of discouragement. Mm, that's so helpful. All right. We have talked um, about uh in terms of the efforts of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy, we've talked about efforts to distort, distract, and discourage us. Talk about deception. Number four is deceive. Yeah. So when I think about deception, I think of kind of like a concoction. And what the enemy does, he puts in a blend of falsehoods mixed with a portion of truth and then aims it at our vulnerabilities. And, and then this is how he, he goes about attacking us. As we know, in Matthew chapter four, the enemy you know, did those same things with Jesus, you know, attacking him. Hey, he's hungry after 40 days, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And if you bow down and worship me, Satan says, I'll give you all of this. And and Jesus, of course, saw it, countered it with scripture. And, and so one, here's one of the questions I will ask people that I disciple, leaders that I walk with. It's this question. And I would encourage you to think about this today because it reveals where you're vulnerable. If you were the devil, 
how would you take you out? Think mm. about that question. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? In other words, it, when you look at your own vulnerable places, if we're really honest, within 15 to 30 seconds, we could say, well, it'd be this, and it'd be this, and it'd be this. And, and what that does is it sets you up for the counterpunch, because the counterpunch of deception is a commitment to walking in truth. All right. And so you've got to walk in the truth of Scripture. And the second counterpunch that I have found in my life in this one is relational accountability. In other words, you've got relationships in your life that you've invited to speak into your life, saying things like, you know what, Dave, you're just a little off on this one and not getting defensive. Like, well, what do you mean? It's it's hey, I love you. You know, I'm on your side. I got your back. But you're you're out to lunch on this one. We got to talk about this. So walking in truth, relational comedy, those are great counter punches to deception. All right. And then let's uh, let's I mean, I think this one is so easy for us to recognize in the culture today. Mm -hmm. But this Mm -hmm. goes beyond just the enemy's attempt to divide us in the culture. There's real division in the church. And so let's talk about the enemy's schemes to divide. Yeah. Distort, distract, discourage, deceive. And the fifth one is divide. So think about this as separating relationships. This could also be, you know, operate, having a a bit of an independent attitude and operating independently from other people. And the enemy loves this. Like he cannot defeat a united church. So if he can counter you know, or get divided the Baptist with the Assemblies of God and the Lutherans, you know, with that non-denominational church down the street. And he can do that. He he wins. It, it's really important that we do Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. This isn't the counterpunch. It's maintaining unity. And the way I look at it is like this, Carmen. It, it, it's like when I watch a football game, it doesn't matter who it is that scores the touchdown. If it's the halfback, the the quarterback, the tight end, the receiver, or just the, the big old lineman happened to by accident fall on the ball, it's six points on the scoreboard for all of us. And it doesn't matter in the body of Christ who's doing the thing for Jesus. We need to stop comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. The Bible teaches us that. And we need to realize it's a, it's points on the scoreboard for all of us. When the body of Christ functions rightly, when a church is successful bringing people to Jesus. So the counterpunch is maintain unity and being agents of reconciliation. Yeah, guarding our hearts um, and minds in relationship to the spirit of division, being able to recognize the spirit of division, being able to recognize the spirit of division in another person, and being Mm -hmm. able to stop and say, hey, my brother, my sister, um, I just... I don't know if you are recognizing this right now about yourself, but um, what you're what you're talking about and the way you're talking about the church or the way you're talking about that other Christian or the way that you're approaching this, that that's really a spirit of division. Like, I want to I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there with you, but I don't want you to be there either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's a you know, there's the unassailable peace uh, that the Christian has because we live in this fortress of love and this fortress of joy and it's unassailable right mm-hmm. but there is an enemy constantly attacking uh constantly you know with on the forward pressing foot right and so the enemy plays fast right mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. often we take a posture of uh of at best defensiveness i mean sometimes that's the best we have but we're often on our heels and we're not on our forward foot. 
Uh, and so, you know, I love your football image and I love what you said about coaching. And so, you know, give us those three. There were three R's that you said about coaching and I might have missed them. Um, <laughs> actually, it was about it was actually about tackling. And, yeah. So tackle because I want to be able to, you know, see, this is me, Dave. I don't want to be on my back foot in a posture of defensiveness. Yeah. I would like to be on my forward foot um, on the attack. So can you give me those again? Yeah, so it it's a method that that you teach high schoolers. Uh, when I was coaching, it was called hit, wrap, and drive. And what it meant is I would line kids up by height across from each other, all padded up, helmets on. And then when I'd say hit together, they would move like the their forehead part of their helmet with their face straight into the chest or the numbers of the next player. Then I'd say wrap. And they'd wrap their arms and kind of lock them around the player. Then I'd say drive, and they would push off their back foot. And then I'd say again, hit, wrap, drive, again. And 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 you know they hated it for three weeks of practice. I would do that every. But by the time we got to the games, those kids they weren't thinking hit, wrap, and drive. It was so a part of them. We became the best tackling team, and we actually won a championship because they knew how to tackle so well. But it's that same thing. So I want to encourage your listeners here. To, to pay attention and to get these five in their mind, distort, distract, discourage, deceive, divide. Just rehearse that several times and you're going to get that. And here's the idea. When you feel like you're being attacked, pay attention. Okay, what's going on? Oh, this is distorting and divide. It's distorting God's character and they're trying to divide me. Guess what? Now you know how to fight. Uh, I like it. I feel like uh, Simon the Zealot would have written a discipleship course on hit, rap, drive. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. I got to leave it right there. We love talking with you. Please come back. Let's um, let's dig around next time in terms of spiritual warfare in the workplace. Let's talk about um, how to use Scripture, like how to actually use Scripture when we recognize that the enemy is attacking us in one of these particular, uh, through one of these particular schemes. Could we do that? Sounds great. Look forward to it. All right. That sounds great. All right. That's Dave Buring. You can find him at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. So late yesterday, the Senate pushed the massive infrastructure bill, passed another hurdle, It is expected that the U.S. Senate is going to pass the bill tomorrow morning within its 30 hours of cloture. I know that is some wonkiness right there, but that's what's going on in Washington. They're going to then send it over to the House of Representatives, which uh, is on recess. So nothing's going to happen there um, imminently. But the Senate is then going to turn and take up the $3.5 billion spending package which is not as likely to have the the support from Republicans that the infrastructure bill has. So uh, there you go. That's my really quick inside the Beltway news item for this morning. We're going to catch up on a bunch of other stuff uh, in terms of national headlines at the intersection of politics and religion with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. No one makes it through life without dealing with this human emotion, loss. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The pain that follows loss is something none of us escape. It's overwhelming when you've lost something or someone. You know what it's like to grieve a broken relationship or spend sleepless nights fretting over the loss of a dream. Well, those same painful feelings are stirred up in your teen as well. 
When they don't get what they want, they experience the hollowness of disappointment. But unlike adults, teens rarely know how to express it. So keep your eyes open for grief in your teen's life and always be ready to give them a hug. All of us need those arms of affection that remind us everything's going to be okay. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Welcoming back Adam Carrington. All right, our agenda items have changed dramatically uh, since we now have you on the line. Good morning, Adam. Uh, good, good morning. I hope you're all doing doing well and had a good night. Batman. Sleep. Batman. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to now yes, refer uh, to you. You are you are Adam. You are secretly Adam West Carrington. I, I I would be much more popular in my house if that was the case, but I in, instead I was the one that had to uh, first show hospitality to and then escort out a bat that had decided to uh, 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 join us in the middle of the night. And uh, my, my, my the rest of my family was none too pleased about that fact. So uh, was there a lot of yeah. screaming? Were people standing on chairs? Like, that's always the part that I'm like, <laughs> it's not a mouse. It's not on the floor. The standing on the chair or the counter doesn't help. Actually, it could be counterproductive given its flight pattern. Uh, I did more <laughs> ducking than anything else as I was trying to make sure that it 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 uh, it, it got out. Well, and the strange thing there is I heard some scratching in the dark. And mm. we have an old house with, you know, doors that don't fit necessarily perfectly. And I thought it was maybe one of the kids up trying to open the door to our room to say they'd had a nightmare or something. But no, no, no. It's just a thing to give my wife nightmares for the next however long. Uh, so oh, yeah. the bat is gone. She's... We are we are safe now. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to sleep in one of those like zips all the way up little mummy um, uh, sleeping bags. You know, where all that's showing is your nose. Mm-hmm. I, that's what she's going to want. That, gonna want. That, I'm just telling you right now. That's it's, that's what she's going to want. I, I, I'm preparing for a lot of what was that sound, and we have an old <laughs> house, so that's a question that could be perpetual. So. Okay, and today is the first day of preschool. Yes, our our daughter is going to preschool for the first time. In fact, we could hardly get her to sleep last night because she was so excited. <laughs> so very exciting uh, times in the Carrington household. Uh, and I'm she will have that... such a great story to tell. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, now for her, she she told me uh, when she she says, you know, Daddy, um, I like you because you uh, you 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 kill bugs for me. And now it'll be you shoot bats for me. So that's good. That's good. That to the list. She's going to go to school and say, my dad is Batman. It's going to be great. You're going to have such a great. Yeah. It's a lot of street cred, man. OK, let's talk about um, congressional Democrats and their efforts to kill both the Hyde and the Helms Amendment. Remind us, what are the Hyde and the Helms Amendments and uh, why are they suddenly gone from every piece of legislation? Yes, uh, they basically are do the same thing internationally versus domestically. And they are longstanding legislation, one that bans the use of of federal funds to pay for abortions for things like programs like Medicaid, that's the Hyde Amendment. 
uh, and the Helms Amendment, named after Jesse Helms, a senator from former senator from North Carolina, it bans money for abortions overseas as part of foreign aid or other packages that we may give. And despite Democrats and Republicans exchanging Congress and the presidency, those two pieces of legislation have stayed since the 1970s. And the problem, uh, the problem now is, as the Democratic Party has become more, let's say, virulently pro-choice, uh, far from the days of, of Bill Clinton's safe, legal, and rare attempt to have a kind of semi-middle ground, even though that still really wasn't a middle ground, they've now taken the further step of, in, in their budget proposals, removing even those protections against federal funding. By the way, these led this legislation doesn't stop anyone legally from having an abortion, but it says we're not going to use taxpayer-funded money to help domestically or internationally. And I think it just shows where the Democratic Party is in relation to the abortion movement and probably in in relation to their worries about some of the gains at the state level and potential gains at the Supreme Court level in the coming term that seem to be going for the pro-life movement. So I think all those factors are coming to play. And one of the reasons that Adam and I are talking about this today is we expect once the Senate actually starts taking up the $3.5 billion spending a proposal that this is going to become a robust part of the conversation, uh, and we want you to be prepared to engage with uh, with members of Congress about both the Hyde and the Helms amendments and the preservation of them um, in in terms of the way the United States spends our tax dollars. Um, let's also talk about the president's executive order offering safe haven to people from Hong Kong who are residing in the United States. This is pretty big international news. It is. And the, the particular thing he did was defer sending back people that are due to return to Hong Kong. They've got an 18-month deferral from when they originally had to leave that can be renewed later on. And where I think this is important is on a sort of geopolitical level, it shows that the seeing the problems with China, both as an economic competitor, but also as a human rights violator, seems like there's going to be at least some bipartisan commitment as a foreign policy concern to taking on China. Uh, if 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 the Biden administration didn't wa- didn't want to cross hairs with them, didn't want to get in trouble with them, this was not the thing to do. Uh, and so he's gotten a good amount of pushback from China from China for it already. But I think it shows that China more and more is being seen as the main threat, and that that is something that the Trump administration saw, although they focused more on economics. But I think even the Biden administration. The other is, I think that um, it 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 could even be something that could show some bipartisanship regarding immigration. And what I mean is, of all of the people that I think would be grateful for being able to be here and have the habits of self-government that we're looking for, uh, it's the people of Hong 
Hong Kong, who had an independence uh, as a British colony, had a long time learning about what it means to govern oneself well. And they're not, they've never been a perfect uh, a regime, but I think as they increasingly are coming under pressure from the Chinese government, moves like this, I think, are, are not only in our national interests, but also in a humanitarian interest where those things can actually come together in a helpful way. We'll see how it continues to play out, how far the Biden administration is willing to go on this, and whether, for example, this is only a temporary move, if Congress is willing to grant maybe even more extensive protection and an extensive stay for Hong Kong as members as political refugees. All right, I'd love to talk with you after a very brief break, Adam, um, about a piece that we both read in First Things. It's written by Carl Truman, and it's entitled Dogma Drives the Christian Life. If you are listening right now and you feel like Christianity and Christians here in the United States of America are sort of rapidly being moved to the margins of not only political discourse, but lots of conversations in the culture. Um, I think you're going to be very interested in this conversation. Uh, So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Carrington is our guest. We'll be right back. Hello, Batman. Adam West Carrington continues with us this morning. I know it's going to now be your walk-up music. It's going to take a while for me to get over this. Uh, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, a much more serious person than I often treat him to be. We're going to talk now about an article that Adam and I both read in First Things. It's written by Carl Truman, um, whom you will remember from our conversations here on air about his most excellent book about the status of things uh, here in the Western world these days. Um, The article is Dogma Drives the Drama. What is dogma and what is it about Christian dogma that actually is important and often missed by people today? Well, as you were saying uh, before going to the break, the context for this is that Christians in the West are probably— moving toward, unless we have a revival, which that would be wonderful, uh, to a place we haven't really been in Western society since before Constantine in the fourth century, and that is Christianity not having a privileged place, not being accepted in the public sphere. And one thing that I think Truman is trying to say is if we get to that place, and we seem to be how are we to understand our place in the world? And part of the idea of what he means by, I think, dogma is really doctrine, might be another way of saying Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. of saying that however we engage with each other and with society and culture, that engagement needs to be from a perspective that the gospel is a real factual thing. It's to be applied to the culture, but it is not formed by the culture. It is to form our culture and that we have to think about that with a seriousness and definitiveness that we really just haven't had to in society before. And as we talk about how to do so, we need to never lose track of that This, these are facts, these are truths, and we have to order our lives around them against the temptation to conform ourselves and to conform what the gospel means to what society might be becoming if we're to see how, how culture is going. And he lists out a number of the things I'm sure listeners can could fill in the blanks themselves on how that's manifesting itself. 
When I read this, uh, one of the things that I was reminded of was the exchange between uh, then Senator Dianne Feinstein and um, the candidate, the then candidate for the Supreme Court, uh, Amy uh, Coney Barrett. And I remember Senator Feinstein saying the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's a concern. Um, the for those of us who are people of faith and convictionally so. The dogma doesn't just live loudly within us. It is the worldview through which we're operating. Like, I I cannot separate out what I believe as a Christian from how I see everything and experience every event and respond to every circumstance. Right. And and I think the the interesting direction, I think Truman took that because I think he agrees that in many ways we need to be Scripture-saturated. I, I remember, actually, a little diversion on that. I remember the way old men would pray in the church I grew up, and they would pray the King James Bible. And these were not necessarily learned men, men with high vocab- Elizabethan-era vocabulary, but they had so imbibed it that it had become a part of them. And I think he's saying that's something we've got to be striving for. And, and the way, the direction I thought he took that was interesting on it is he, he talked about certain virtues that people, mm-hmm. even outside Christianity, might on the surface like, such as, you know, love and hope and hospitality, and how can we exercise these? And his point was, don't turn, lo- don't allow the culture to define what love is, or hope is, or what hospitality is because our love embraces and defends the truth. Our hope is in what, who Christ is and what he's done, and our hospitality is a, a means of in the hope and love as, that we practice as defined by the gospel. And I, I, you know, I, I'm getting sort of out of my, my political lane, but there's going to be a lot of political and social pressure to not see the gospel as underneath these virtues and to want to recreate these Christian virtues in a way that is societally acceptable. And it's going to be much, much, much more so than we've tended to see in the past, where we've sometimes thought, well, those people over there are applying pressure. No, it's going to be your own friends. It could be your own family. And this is where the community of the church and a, a, a being wise politically in a very different environment are questions that we should be asking and thinking through biblically, prayerfully, scripturally now before it's too late to think about it and we're in the very middle of it. I like the uh, the list at the end. He asked the question, what should American Christianity after Christendom look like? It should involve the practices that communicate Christianity's dogmatic content, which I think he then makes a list of preaching the whole counsel of God, for faith comes by hearing, uh, catechizing people in the faith, worshiping in a manner true to that faith, connecting God's truths to our experience, which I think that connecting God's truths to our experience is is sort of the everything we do in public. Uh, He then concludes this way, in short, American Christianity after Christendom looks like people individually and as congregations taking the truths of the gospel seriously and living them out faithfully in their local context. Uh, And that seems so basic, and yet that is not what most people um, are doing today in terms of their Christian living and their Christian witness. 
Yeah, sometimes the basics are the hardest thing to do because we tend to overlook them and we look for a big splashy answer or a silver bullet answer. And I think the real answer is getting in the trenches of your 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 church community, getting in the trenches of the word itself and making that not something that you ignore the culture or are co-opted by the culture, but really seeing those as means of grace that God has promised to meet you in those places and bless you in those places and to sustain you in them. And I would even say something that that people could really turn to for wisdom and for comfort here is the Psalms. Uh, there are some traditions uh, that I know Anglican is one of them that reads the Psalms every month. And I would say that in that, um, you you will find your own situation, and you will find not only comfort but instruction along the very lines that I think Truman was talking about. And it, it's it's hard to think as Americans that that could be our future, and hopefully it's not. Maybe things will change. God can do miraculous works in those ways. But we need to be um, not just innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And doing this kind of work and thinking is part of the wisdom that we're called to, as well as the innocence. Amen. All right, Dr. Adam Carrington, thank you so very much. Uh, Carl Truman will be with us next Monday, so we might uh, pick up this conversation with him as well. Uh, go take a great, you know, first day of preschool picture, man. Will do. And I'll, maybe I'll Photoshop a bat in. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. All right. Good morning again to each and every one of you. I don't know about you. Were you all, did you get all prayed up this morning? I, my litany of things to do this morning was very, very long. So although I did faithfully spend my time in the Word of God, which where in the Word are you today? Uh, and so I was in Colossians chapter 3, if you missed that conversation at the outset of this hour. But I will confess that um, I didn't have as much time in prayer this morning as I ordinarily do. So pray with me this morning for our fellow Christians, neighbors, teachers, administrators, kids, parents, People moving into college dorms this week, the first day of, you know, preschool and first grade. Uh, you know, I just, the list is long. Let's be praying for the people facing fires in the western part of the United States and across southern Europe. Let's be praying today for churches across the country and Christians around the world. And yes, let's pray for our frontline healthcare workers as the nation faces a new surge in uh, COVID, uh, particularly in rural and southern communities. Let's get prayed up this morning as we continue our conversations here on Mornings with Carmen. There's another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.